You are listening to the Alouette's Flight Deck, a proud member of the Canadian Football Podcast Network. All right, folks, we've been clear for takeoff. Welcome to the Alouette's Flight Deck, podcast dedicated to Montreal Alouette's football. I am Tim Capper, along with Cliffy D. Hey, how are you, buddy? I'm doing good. How are you doing, Tim? I'm doing fine. Uh, really weird. I think, aren't we the first team to have our third bye week already? Uh, yes, and before Labor Day, which is very, very odd. I mean, we had one in week two, so hey, it could be worse. Could have been in week one. <laughs> this is true. This is true. But yeah, uh, but... I guess from from here on in, though, this means that everything counts. Like, everything is for real. I mean, a lot of CFL fans will say the games don't count until after Labor Day. Like, well, and this in this case, especially when you talk about the Montreal Alouettes, you're absolutely right. Because, yeah, every game now is going to count. Every game is going to matter now for this team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah no, that's, that is true. That is true. Um, but obviously we have a, a – uh, even though we are on a bye week, we have – a, uh, a some interesting talk when it comes to the game this past week that happened in Moncton, uh, a game that I know both of us wish we could have gone to, but uh, weren't able to make it. It looks like they had fun on the fan on the fan trip. Um, I'm curious to know because I really haven't spoken to anybody. I don't really know of anyone who actually went on the trip, and it makes me wonder how their Saturday was because it looks like they left real early, at least from some of the pictures that I saw from the from the official. Uh, Al's social media that they left oh. early and I'm like wow I mean there isn't that much to do among them. I mean the play where the, the players actually went out into to a beach I saw that I thought that was pretty cool they had lobster what a meal and as I, I as I long suspected uh, I, I think they may especially the guys on defense may have overindulged on that lobster because <laughs> they were looking sluggish on on Sunday, yes, yes, they were, yes, they were. But we, we, we um, yeah. But that, that's. But obviously, we were able to talk about this game in a, in a positive note, obviously because of, of the actual, actual result itself. But, um, and but yeah, as I said, hey, by the way, if you were, if you went on the on the trip on the fan trip, uh, please send us an email, or DM us over at our Twitter account at Alouette FL Deck. Um, we're just curious to know how what the trip was, how what, what the itinerary was. Did you have fun, et cetera, et cetera, that type of thing. So, uh, we're just curious. We're just curious to know because you know pictures can only tell one side of the story, and that was great that the Alouettes put out a whole you know whole, a whole album on that. But I'm I'm still curious to know what what it was like and what you did because you know originally this game was supposed to be a six uh, a seven thirty game uh, local time. Um, so it, I'm just curious to know uh, what. How the trip was? Was it uh, was it fun? Was it worth the price that you paid, et cetera, et cetera? Just curious. Just curious. Um, if it's anything like the trip I took last year to Regina on the Alouettes fan plane, I'm sure the fans had a absolute blast, and I, I sincerely hope they did because I mean it's it's definitely a fun experience. Like we've you and I have already been to Moncton to see yeah. the Alouettes play, and I don't no, know. If- I wasn't there to see. Mo- uh, no, the correction. I was actually there to see the very first touchdown Atlantic in Moncton. Oh my my mistake. Yeah. I, I I didn't make for that. I was not there for the Hamilton uh, Hamilton Alouettes game in 2013. I was back. I've all the way going all the way back to 2010. Okay. Well, the point remains that yeah. you and I have seen games in Moncton, and yeah. we can speak to the overall Touchdown Atlantic experience. But from the perspective of Montreal Alouettes and their uh, and, and their fan plane, I, I definitely would be curious to see how how that went as well. So yeah, exactly. Yes. exactly. Uh, I mean, obviously, the the differences that I noticed immediately. Um, is that they did not use the full stadium seating like they did for 2010 for 20 yeah for 2010 uh, it was only the uh, on the uh, the already the stands that were already there the, those are the ones that were being used um, and uh, just over 10,000 I think that to me that would be a, that's a huge positive I, I'm sure you know it's not like the touchdown Atlantic from 2010 obviously but to me, considering the the early issues that they had with selling tickets and, and finally being able to get it right with some uh, with some uh, sponsors stepping up to, to sponsor certain sections and to lower the ticket prices, uh, I think you know getting just over ten thousand 
for two teams that, well, I guess we could say summarily that the Alouettes are their team of region, so to speak. Um, so to speak. So to speak. Uh, I think, you know, just getting over 10,000 seemed to go quite well. And it looked like, you know, I said, with the trip itself, uh, I think, did the, did the team, it looked like some of the, you got a, they, they gave out jerseys. That's what it looked like. I could be wrong. I saw a bunch of Alouette jerseys that had number 19 on them. So uh, mm. it's very possible that that was part of it. That's, again, that's another reason why we want to hear from somebody who went on the trip. So, um, But from what, you see, what you've seen and what we heard, because obviously we heard from the, uh, from the ownership group of the, uh, of the schooners, um, and they were talking about what their timeline was. But from what you saw and from the turnout, how would you, how would you gauge, um, how would you gauge how well how well this game uh, did for the region and for the for the Maritimes when it comes to CFL football? Uh, well, again, and this is just purely speculation, uh, but you you have to go along with the idea that okay, this is a small stadium and it looked pretty well sold out or close to sold out. So yeah. that's definitely an encouraging sign. Uh, again, taking numbers in consideration because i mean again if this was like tw- it was packed with twenty thousand people then yeah this would be a roaring success but in all reality we only had about ten thousand at this uh, game in moncton but still it shows that there is definitely interest i was definitely worried like you that uh, they had priced themselves out of the out of the market with the the initial pricing uh, of the tickets and uh, the fact that the game was originally scheduled to be sunday evening yeah i'm glad they changed I thought, that i'm so glad they changed that yeah like they like initially this was set up for failure but they at least had the foresight to make the necessary adjustments as you said they got sponsorship in to help lower the ticket prices and make it a little more affordable uh, as i i heard that there was uh, buses coming in from different maritime cities to the game itself in moncton so i think that may have helped the cause as well uh and again just alouettes and argos fans stepping up a little bit too and wanting to go see their team in a different locale i think that definitely helped add to the intrigue and the excitement of the event itself and best thing of all all ten thousand plus people that were in the stadium got to see one heck of a football game no kidding no kidding they they really did and the weather seemed to be gorgeous absolutely stunning day in the maritimes it looked really really great and well Obviously, that's a great segue that you're you're talking about there. But I think it, it bodes well if if they state because if you noticed, they were stating get uh, some of the some of the advertising that was going out from the schooners was get your ticket your season tickets now in time for 2021. So that looks to be because they even said that on the broadcast with their ownership group that that's what they're shooting for. Whether it be they play a couple of years in Moncton first, or they play or if they are able to get that stadium built in time in in, in Halifax. Um, it could be we could be making our very first uh, uh, real road trip to see the Atlantic Schooners play whomever they're going to play, whether it be Moncton or whether it be Halifax. So, uh, fingers crossed, right? Absolutely, and I, I think in all reality, I think that would have to be the plan because I know that the ownership group is apparently submitting, uh, I guess, a stadium proposal of sorts to the city of Halifax, and uh, I'm even also hearing. Possibly on a location in Dartmouth. So I mean, it's it, it's now a time for for this group as far as trying to get something established, uh, just on the heels of this event, showing how successful it can be. And I think, in all reality, regardless of where they build the stadium in Nova Scotia, uh, they're going to have to sort of accept the fact that they'll probably have to do the first couple of years in Moncton while the stadium is being built, because there is definitely interest in having a tenth CFL team in the Maritimes. And I think as long as you keep promising oh they're coming they're coming we just gotta get the stadium built it's coming that's that interest is still gonna wane now if you can get a team put together like an actual physical team that you can go and buy tickets for and start supporting that that would be huge right there and it ultimately that will mean you'd have to play your home games in Moncton for the time being right. and not a terrible thing really i mean it's especially too if you're you're building the idea that this is a Maritimes team. Get everybody into the idea that, hey, hey we got a we, we got a team here now in this region. It's representing all of us. There's just, as far as I'm concerned, the possibilities are endless as to what you can do with this Atlantic team in, in general. But I think in all reality, until the stadium itself is built in either Halifax or Dartmouth, I think you would have to sort of accept the fact that even with temporary seating, uh, installed, you'd have to play your first couple of seasons in Moncton just to just get the just to get the your your, your the get the get the ball rolling, so to speak. Yeah, you know, just get get uh, people used to the idea that hey, there's a football team here, and 
other teams are going to come here and their fans are going to come here and try to make this a place to be. Yeah. And as far as I'm concerned, I, I, I think it'd be great. And I think people will get really excited about it. Other teams are going to potentially do fan playing games like the Alouettes just did this past Sunday just to help generate that excitement, get that buzz going. And I'm all for it. I, I, I would love to see that happen. And I know I'm not the only one who'd be very interested to see the Atlantic Schooners as a physical team, like an actual team with actual players that you can start cheering for. Uh, to me, I, I think that would be the, the way to go about it. But I guess we'll see what happens. As I said, the the ownership group for the Schooners is, uh, it looks like the, the wheels are in motion right now to at least get something going as far as a potential stadium goes and uh well i guess we'll i guess time will tell just how things will how things are going to ramp up and i for one i i'm i can't help but be just a little bit excited about that yeah 10,126 people attended the uh, touchdown of the the fourth version of touchdown atlantic in moncton um fourth or fourth fourth fifth fourth the fourth fourth fourth, yeah fourth edition uh, to see the Alouettes hold on to beat the uh, Toronto Argonauts 28-22. Uh, that's right, Cliff. Pour a drink. Um, <laughs> yeah, pour a drink because we're streaking yet again. There you go. Uh, 28-22 in a game which started off, as you're talking about, very poorly. It's like the Alouettes could not get anything done in the first half. I mean, they were down 16 nothing at one point. Mm-hmm. 16 nothing and outscore the Argos for the rest of the game uh, uh, 28 28 to six um, yeah I, it was it was scary and, and it, it was it just seemed that no matter what the owls were trying to do they just could not get anything going at all I mean this is the Alowitz team that has been known to be able to score in the first quarter and they were held scoreless Um I think it was uh, they held scoreless for only the only the second time yeah only the second time this year in the first quarter, so it was a a game as basically of two halves. Uh, but the thing is, you gotta admit, dude, uh, Macbeth, holy crap, what a game this dude had. I mean, who would have thought for two uh, for two games alone in the CFL this week that you have two quarterbacks that threw for over four hundred yards and. And both of them lost. <laughs> but the thing it, is, M- Macbeth was—he was passing like a maniac, like nothing. He, nothing. I remember. I don't think we mentioned this could possibly be a trap game. We never mentioned that last week. But this was for sure. Being down sixteen, nothing. It was a trap game for sure. And it, in the first half, it really just seemed that the Alouettes were. Well, they're about. They were about to to, to lose to Darth Vader and uh, not not be able to blow up the Death Star. Oh, unbelievable. I mean, the, you're absolutely right. You talk about a tale of two halves of football. And credit to McLeod Bethel Thompson. I mean, this this guy is a warrior. <laughs> he's just like Nick Arkbuckle the week before. Like I said, he puts up incredible numbers, uh, just firing on all cylinders, but still ends up losing the game. I mean, it's, it's not on him, that's for sure. Just like it wasn't on Arbuckle losing... Uh, out in Calgary, this yeah. game, the loss is not on uh, McLeod Bethel Thompson. Like right. he he played a heck of a game, and this defense, as I said, like they just look sluggish. They were just letting the Argos walk all over them for the most part. Like I didn't scary. see that. Uh, like normally, most games, yeah, the offense takes a little while to get going, but at least the defense is able to to hang tough. And this defense just it wasn't happening. Like the the first half, they just. Were listless. I, I, I was very concerned. Like I said, <laughs> did they just have too much lobster the night before? Because they just looked, they they did not look like themselves. They they looked like, uh, like I said, it just looked bad. <laughs> There's just no other way to describe it. But then, sure enough, halftime comes, and again, it's funny too. All the chicken littles out on on, on the Twitterverse. You know they're they're hitting hitting me up and like hey this is not good the you know, we're back to our bad ways and blah 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 I'm like guys we've seen this story before first half is always a dog's breakfast and then Vernon wakes up he figures he cracks the code he figures out the uh, opposition and he flips a switch and sure enough the first play literally literally well. Okay, almost, not lit- almost literally, yeah. Okay, the first offensive play for the Alouettes in the third quarter. Oh yeah, yeah. Was a touchdown. Uh huh. And what a touchdown! Yes, sir. Yes, it was scored. Scored by none other than our new friend of the show, 
Eugene Lewis. That's right. And what a he was what a all was too, alone. Eh? <laughs> he, he, the man was an island, and Vernon just pump fakes, chucks the ball, and literally no one is surrounding Gino. I was like, okay, well, I'm just going to saunter into the end zone. And that's what he did. He just took a little jog. Oh, touchdown. Boom. And just like that, the Alouettes were back in this game and just kept on going. And as I said, they just, you know, the second half, they figure things out. And again, Toronto was still hanging around there. They, they oh, weren't no going to roll kidding. up and die either. But I mean, once again, the Alouettes just flip the switch. They figure it out. And they just, they start putting on, putting on the hurt. They start scoring points. The defense woke up, realized what they had in front of them. And they, they came to life as well. And I tell you what, folks, this this was a beauty of a game. Mm. No, I yeah, I it, it was, and you're talking about the first half. It it seemed to be, you know, we saw Vernon basically throw again into double coverage, and it was like, man, no, you know, for the for his lone int, it was like, dude, don't please, but but yeah. change changes were made, and from there it just got better and better and better. I mean, we go, we, and this is where the game got very interesting. I mean, obviously go from the Adams one, and then our next. We get the ball again, and then and then the the, the quad flicker or whatever the, the triple flicker, whatever you uh, Adams to Adams to uh, who was it? Adams to Johnson to Posey back to Adams to, for the touchdown to Quan Bray. Unbelievable! What and, a and play! What a catch too! Oh Woo-hoo. man! Wow! Yeah. That like <laughs> like you talk about a jaw dropping play. Mm-hmm. I mean, I I love the flea flicker or any sort of reverse plays like that. It's always exciting because. When you pull it off, it's a masterstroke. I mean, and it's so easy to screw it up as well. But they did it, and like a triple reverse, no less. I mean, that was astonishing. And yeah, Quan Bray, man, this kid, uh, man, I tell you what, like this kid is just a baller, and he stretched out. And it, also, too, he was flanked by two Argos. No, in double, it was in double coverage too. Like, but it still, it just went right over the over the defenders and into his outstretched hands. Yeah, they, they caught everybody napping on that one. And let me tell you that the way the stadium exploded at that play, unbelievable. Like, fans in Moncton, they were treated to a show. Yeah. Like, that was incredible. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And, and then and then it continued again, not only for the Alouettes, but for uh, with uh, with the Argos, uh, you know, uh, Bethel Thompson completing that, uh, that uh, was it the 38-yard touchdown to, uh, to Daryl Walker. Uh, that was a thing of beauty too, and, uh, and still they're still talking that today. Did he step out of bounds? It was it was still checked by the obviously by the command center. Mm-hmm. But I I was listening to certain people, and it wasn't just Montrealers too that were talking about it. But it was it was very close. I don't think that would have been overturned because I don't think they had a good angle to see if his, if his foot actually had touched the white on, right. that, on that play. So. And he was walking the tightrope the rest oh, of the was, way, yeah, too. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So. And again, I, I I, was certain, too, that he would have stepped out of bounds. But sure enough, at least the angles that we got to see afterwards, I, I mean, it's, yeah, as far as I'm concerned, he, he stayed in bounds. So give uh, Darrell Walker tons of credit. Like, he, he had the presence of mind to just keep himself upright just enough, and then he tiptoed into the end zone. So uh-huh. yeah. props to him. Like, he, that was a, a hell of a play. And again, a hell of a throw by... By Bethel Thompson. Oh, yeah. I mean. And then on next, it just keeps on coming. Then you have that long touchdown by Jeremiah Johnson, who basically got all most of the reps uh, for William Stanbeck, even though he did he was back for his first game uh, mm-hmm. since he had been on the on the uh, on the uh, on the injury list for the last two games. Yeah. Um, the, it it's like nobody touched him. Nobody touched him on that play either. It just like uh, off. I think he went left, and it was just in. It, yeah, it, was, just, it was it was a no doubter. Yeah, he was off to the races and uh, a hell of a like and hilarious too because again we we knew what William Stanbeck was capable of doing. We knew this even in training camp before he exploded for the season that he's had so far. We knew what Ryder Stone can do. Like we know that he these are two young running backs that can really make plays happen. And then we wondered well, why did the Alouettes sign a guy in his thirties like Jeremiah Johnson like and. At the time, I said, "Well, this is definitely an insurance policy. If God forbid, God forbid, something did happen to William Stanbeck, then at least you've got this ace in the hole." Because Jeremiah Johnson has been a very productive running back in his uh, CFL career. Like yeah. he's been in a, uh, he's had a couple of CFL stops along the way before coming to Montreal, and every t- everywhere he's played, he's always produced. And sure enough, he got the opportunity now with the uh, with the injury to Stanbeck, 
and he's made the most of it. He, he's been a big part of this offense, and it's been fantastic to watch. I mean, for him to finally break off that touchdown, absolutely fantastic. Like he, he still has wheels. I mean, not a young man, but you know yeah. what? He provides that veteran presence. He also knows what to do when you give him the ball. Uh, still knows how to block. Still knows how to catch uh, 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 catch uh, receptions and things like that. But uh, I'll tell you what, like Jeremiah Johnson has been a very pleasant surprise. And as I said, insurance policy that has paid off beautifully. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And then Adams is the last. The lastly, Adams is touchdown three yard pass to to uh, Eugene Lewis. Um, the two point convert, you mean? Sorry, two point convert. Yeah, sorry, sorry. The, after the after the run, uh, after the run by Johnson, uh, another go up and get it. Shades of last week <laughs> on the two on the uh, on the onside kick. Man, uh, just wow, wow. As it, as they say, ball don't lie. Yeah, yeah. Like you can see the basketball genes in in Eugene Lewis. It is clear as day. Like his dad played his. Co- Ball now too, and he's played a little bit himself. So I mean, it's there. Like you, you know what this guy can do, and simply outstanding. Like that's that's just the best way to describe watching Eugene Lewis. It is such a treat to watch. Yeah, um, and then and then comes uh, the, the 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 tough. Uh, it was uh, cardiac kids all over again. We haven't had a, a case of the cardiac kids for the Alouettes for a long, long time. What year was that? I'm trying to remember what year the cardiac kids were here in Montreal. Obviously, AC was still the quarterback. I'm trying to remember what year that was. Don't remember. I'd have to go back and check, but um, it, it basically came down to they had you know the Alouettes had stopped them. Uh, they thought that they had an interception, but it was it was called back. It was was that the one that was called back because of a of a, of a so-called uh, yeah that's the one that was called back. Was that the one uh, before yes. before the last drive where uh, of the so-called uh, uh, roughing the ki- roughing the uh, the passer? Yep, that was not roughing the passer. No, no way in hell. <laughs> No, the again silly now with that nonsense. But unfortunately, it set up the Argos again to possibly win this game. No, absolutely, and, and you, again, less than a minute. And again, as I as I said in the alternative, McLeod Bethel Thompson had to have seen what Vernon did last week, or the week before in Calgary, yeah. and figured this was his opportunity to to do something similar. And to his credit, he did not give up. He kept driving this team, and. I'll be honest. Like when he completed that strike to, uh, I think it was Rodney Smith, down to down the ball at the three yard line with with, po- with point three seconds left. Yeah, with three one hundredths of a second left. I, like, oh, I, I, again, I saw the zeros on the clock, I and know. I should know better that I know. the TV clock isn't the actual clock. Like, okay, game's over. It's done. He didn't do it. Like, no, there's still time. There's still literally a little, little, little bit of time left. I'm like, oh my. God. Yeah, and then thanks to a play oh. by up and coming star, in our opinion, and defensive back, uh, Greg Reed was able to to defend perfectly on that play. <laughs> when, by the way, I heard on the post game show, I think it was Rick Moffat, that SJ was completely wide open. He absolutely was. I, I saw a couple of photos of it. And he was literally all by himself. Yeah. But instead, uh, Bethel Thompson focused on um, Armonte Edwards, who, again, great receiver. But, and, again, had he just thrown it just a little bit more to, I think, the right, he would have it would have been a surefire touchdown. But I think it just kind of arced a little bit left, and it was just perfect opportunity for Greg Reed to, to stick his hand in there, smack the ball away, and the Alouettes would go home victorious once again. Yeah. Um, for the game, I mean, Vernon Adams, I mean, uh, another 300-yard game for this young, young quarterback. Uh, only on on 19 completions, uh, uh, and he said you got the interception out of the way. He had two touchdowns. Uh, Jeremiah Johnson had 54 yards rushing. Stanbeck had 19. Do you think, by the way, this was talked about too? Do you think that they used Johnson more than Stanbeck because they were trying to bring Stanbeck in slowly because he really wasn't getting that many touches. He got more of his touches in the second half. But what what's your thought on that? Do you think they were just trying to ease him back? Absolutely. And that's the best way to do it, too. Because, again, you had that fear factor again. Like once they announced that William Sandback was going to be dressed and in the lineup, automatically, like any plans that the Argos may have had as far as how to attack the Salawas offense immediately changed because I'm sure they were they had to have it in the back of their mind. Maybe he's going to play. So at the same time, we know Jeremiah Johnson's going to be playing. So we got to focus on him. But now you start thinking about like it's almost like mind games a little bit like, yeah. oh, crap, which one? Who do we plan for? Who do we? Who do we focus our energies on? And I, I think the Alouettes played it smart. 
knowing full well that Jeremiah Johnson can definitely handle the load and then some, yeah. just ease Stan back in slowly but surely. Give him a couple of carries here and there. Let him get his let him get his feet again. Let him find his uh, get his feet back underneath him, and get him back into this game. Get him back into this lineup. So I, I think the Alouettes were very wise to do it that way. If you were to give him the entire workload uh, without him really truly testing out his uh, his injury, seeing him make sure everything's okay. Yeah. Uh, I, I just think that would have been caused more harm than good. But uh, I think the Alouettes played it smart. Uh, they they knew for sure that they had very capable running back in Jeremiah Johnson. You also have Ryder Stone who could have gone in there as well. Yeah, he didn't, I don't think he was he even active. He, I don't even know if he got a t- he didn't get a, a single touch. I'm looking for see if players that were that were listed here. But was he even active? Uh, I'm positive I saw him on uh, on kick returns along with Shakir Ryan, but uh, oh, I, I yeah. could be wrong. Okay, no, I mean I'm double checking here. Um, Shakir Ryan reserves Zach Wilkerson. I don't see I don't see him listed at all as the substitutes. Okay, well again with Stanback coming into the lineup, it's very possible that you've you got you got to be careful of the ratio because yes, Ryder Stone is a national, whereas Johnson and Stanback are not. So. Yeah. Yeah, you, you really got to be careful with how, with how you play that. Yeah, so. ex- exactly. Um, uh, leading receiver was Quan Bray with 91 yards. Uh, that was on uh, six targets, five receptions. Uh, Eugene, uh, Eugene Lewis uh, was uh, the second leading receiver with 86 yards, uh, three receptions on four targets. We have to still, again, we got to give still props to uh, uh, to McLeod Bethel Thompson. I mean, uh, 36 completions for 464 yards. Uh, and obviously, the, this is a perfect game. Rodney Smith, man, a guy who came into the game with only I think only twelve receptions on the on the or thirteen receptions on the year, he leaves with twelve receptions on twelve targets for one hundred and thirty six yards. He himself almost put almost beat the Alouettes single handedly. But um, yeah, as I said, the Owls came come away with the win. Uh, they're five and four uh, at their midpoint in the twenty nineteen regular season. And they are at five, at five and four or above five hundred for the first time, Cliff, since two thousand and twelve, where they were six and three. Incredible. It's been a long time coming since they that they have been above five hundred at this point, this late in the season. And uh, I'm I'm feeling pretty good. How about you? Oh, it, it, it again. There's just almost no words to describe the the feeling right now, especially too when you consider how this team started out and. All the naysayers, all the, the all the haters. I can't tell you how many times I see, I see people predicting Elwets were going to either go zero and eighteen or two and sixteen or four and fourteen. And I tell you, Tim, it is it feels so good to see this team rise above it all. And nobody predicted this, especially two. And consider all the all the shenanigans, all the outside extracurricular nonsense. That had been going on pretty much from January first, two thousand nineteen. When it comes to the LOS, like just we were prepared for the worst. As far as I'm concerned, we expected. Well, we didn't know what to expect. To be honest with you, uh, I mean, God, uh, I, I take a look at this team now. I look at how it's how far it's come along, especially too with all the other stuff that's happened, changing head coaches, getting rid of the general manager. Uh, Starting quarterback is not who we expected it to be. Yeah. Well, when I say we, I, I'm not talking about you and I. I'm talking about the general right. CFL population right, because right. everybody and their mother expected Antonio Pipkin to be the guy in Montreal. And lo and behold, it ends up being Vernon Adams. Uh, again, so many unexpected surprises with this LOS team. And above it all, like people can almost give these guys a pass if they just went out there and just stunk out the joint because – you don't know what the hell's going on with this team, but you know what? They weren't gonna. They weren't having any of that. Yeah. That mindset wasn't even coming close to being a part of this team. And you see it. You see it in every single game they play, win or lose. Because, yeah, they've lost a couple of heartbreakers. And really, truly, though, there's only been one game where they played where they were just absolutely dominated. That was a uh, week two against Hamilton. Every other game that's been played, Montreal could have easily won. Those games, the the, the, the losses of those four losses they had, three of those could have easily been wins. Had a couple of things just gone a little bit more in Montreal's favor. But it is what it is, and this team definitely has proven a lot of people wrong. And what a feeling, Tim. It, it's, it, it's incredible just right. to see how this team has come together. And just how much fun it is to watch. Like, it, it is. It, it, well, it's nice to be nervous again. You know, as to the heart, the, the cardiac kids. 
to be to be this nervous. And by the way, we 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 don't as much as we were, were touting what the uh, what the offense has done and what we currently are at this point of the year. We had to still give props to our defense. Uh, obviously, uh, Bo Lacombo. I mean, he had eight tackles. Uh, Greg Reed had uh, had five and a what a sack! Oh boy, <laughs> he laid the wood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, but we we. And I, I, I promised them I wouldn't do this, but I, we got to call him out a little bit. We got to call him out on that dropped INT in the end zone. Uh, well, you know what? He made up for it on that last play of the game. He did. He did. He atoned for his sin. But in fact, there is sin. <laughs> you can't do that. You can't drop. Like I said, McLeod Bethel Thompson threw more touchdown passes to Alouette than yeah, he did to Argos. That's actually true. Yeah, that's actually yeah, true. Of course. Uh, but no, you dropped them. Like, what yeah. the hell? Yeah, I know. I know. Come on! I know. Siante Evans had six tackles. Um, let's see. Uh, Hanek Mwamba had six. Uh, Chris Aki had six. Um, is that the higher ones? Yeah, those are the higher ones for the team. Um, the only thing I, wa- I do want to say, by the way, is that um, at one point, the time of the possession was drastically in favor of Toronto. Drastically in favor of Toronto. Um, I think it was almost 10 minutes, if I remember correctly. The defense on those last two series in the fourth quarter that in my opinion, they looked a little gassed. Um, it, it, they just seemed to be, and what frustrated me the most, and I'm curious to know what, what the, what the thinking is from the, from the coaching staff is on that last drive, they went prevent. And I think that was one of the worst choices that they could have done because you're only sending three, you're you know, you're sending three and you're putting nine back. Uh, I, I don't think that they. I don't think that was. The, I don't think that they should have gone prevent defense and on that last series. We were okay. This is a game. This is a game that the Owls would have lost last year. You know, they, they, the Argos would have scored. But I think playing prevent, they 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 should have mixed it up. They, they I think the again, uh, they they were gassed in my opinion. But playing prevent defense on that last series, I think it was in, again in my opinion one of the worst things that they that the coaching staff did all game. Yeah, I think they. Severely under, I still think they severely underestimated just how good this Argos team is. And let's not, don't let the record fool you, folks. I mean, one in eight definitely doesn't scream a good football team. But you saw how they played against Montreal, and it wasn't a case of Montreal taking the day off, not by any stretch of imagination. Like they came to play too, eventually. But this Argos team is damn tough, man. I, I, yeah, I, yeah. I, I give them a lot of credit. Like I was expecting S.J. Green to have a day. And he did okay, but again, Rodney Smith comes out out of nowhere and is just connecting big time exactly. with Club Bethel Thompson. Darrell Walker, who was the prize acquisition in free agency for the Argos on, on on offense, like okay, yeah, he got in the game, he got a touchdown, but he too has been pretty quiet all year. Like I was expecting, like those are the guys I expect to make a lot of noise, and they just they were hanging around. But I mean, Rodney Smith comes out of nowhere and he is just catching balls left, right, and center, and also too. You're leaving guys open in the flats. Yeah. Like that's the yeah. other thing too. Like again, as part of this prevent defense, you're you're giving far too much room to the Argos to work with, and it nearly bit you in the ass. I'm sorry to say, but I mean, thank God Greg Reed had the presence of mind in the end zone. But the fact that you still had that, they the Argos were very much in this game, and they could have stole this one. And you, you got to be a you gotta be you gotta be better than that like yeah. I, I really hope this was just a one-off thing i really hope it wasn't them thinking okay well we just gotta get through this game and we we'll go into the bye week i hope they realize just how, cl- how close it was to slipping through their fingers and being four and five yeah i agree <laughs> the, uh, the alouette's defense was on the field cliff for 32 minutes and for 75 plays argos <sighs> had 21 more plays than the alouettes did in that in that game so that's that's pretty telling in my opinion but um they were sucking wind in yeah. that fourth quarter. You can see it. I mean, the the, the playmakers that we come to expect, they were there. They had the, they made their presence felt, but still, there's just so many missed opportunities. Actually, and, by the way, the, the other the other we're talking about the roughing the passer. That was back at the the that was the Argos uh, uh, that was the Argos drive before that. The one that killed me, I think, that gave him a first down was the too many men penalty with 14 seconds left. That's what mm-hmm. it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sh- Shades of Saskatchewan. Yeah, about ten years ago. Yeah. So, um, uh, we gotta go ahead and give. Let's give props here. What props do do when it comes to our, our our grades for the team? Uh, Cliff, how would you rate the offense 
for this touchdown Atlantic? Uh, overall, I would definitely give it a, a B minus. As I said, it was pretty anemic in the first half, but uh, sure enough, uh, as I said, Vernon figured things out. Uh, he got he got his players involved, uh, got the receivers going, uh, got the off like the offense was clicking on all aspects, both on the ground and in the air. Uh, when it was all said and done, like he he did what he had to do. He he got the win. Uh, overall, I'd say a B minus would be a pretty good. Like there's a couple of things that could have been a could have put a little bit more into it, but. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, like that second half, more than made up for the, like I said, the, the the lack of action, I should say, in the uh, in the first half. So, I, I feel pretty confident going with B minus. Yeah, I would I would probably give him a, a B actually myself, but I, but I do agree with mo- with basically everything that you've said. Um, what would you give the the defense for this game? Well, uh, I'll again they. They made some plays happen, but like I said, spent far too much time on the field. A uh, couple of they, they let Toronto hang around, which was a, a huge, huge mistake. And then they pretty much also let Toronto set the tone early. So mm-hmm. uh, I, I'm going to go with uh, I'm going to go with a D on this one. Wow, I didn't expect you to say that. Actually, <laughs> I didn't I, expect to say that. I, I mean, again, this is again. I, I'm not putting Toronto down or their record or anything like that, but. I really think this defense has shown so much to us over the past few games, win or lose, that they should have never been put. This defense should have never had the team in this position to have to fight the way they did. Yeah. And I know this defense is a lot better than what we sh- we saw this past Sunday. Yeah. So I, I know I, they can be better, and I, I fully expect them to wake up and, and realize that now. I give them a C. I give the defense a C. And one of the things, too, if you look at this, uh, the Alouettes on first down... Uh, 41 plays on first down for, for the Argonauts. Uh, 332 yards, an average of 8.1 yards. Now, the Alouettes averaged the same, but that was on 11 less less plays on first down. To me, that that's the stat that stands out right there. So, that stands out. Um, got a couple of things to talk about. Uh, we know it's that midway point through the season, but we want to also... I have an, I, Something else was talked about, we want to at least touch on it uh, this week. Um, even though we do have a bye week, just uh, but first before, before that, I want to remind everybody that we are on social media. Uh, you can find us over at Twitter at at Alouettes FL Deck and over at our Facebook page. Just do a search for Alouettes Flight Deck. Also, if you want to listen to the uh, entire archive of all of the podcast, uh, you can do so by heading over to www.alouettesflightdeck.ca or go over to Google Play Music, Apple Podcasts. Stitcher or Spotify. Um, one of the other things that came out that was very interesting, um, and it, the story was run by uh, by Herb Zerkowski, is now all of a sudden, Cliff, it seems to be that there are now two potential ownership groups that are being talked to by the CFL. How the hell did we go from only one to now two? And we don't know who's involved because it looks like they're really being tight-lipped this time around seems to be at least no information that i've seen so far that has come out uh what's your thought on uh, when you first heard that now there are two potentially two ownership groups that are in the running to become the alouette's new owners tell you the truth i could care i couldn't care less at this point like all we've heard all season long is we talked to this group we're talking with that group we've got this group's interested they're in they're out they're in they're out I don't care anymore. I really don't. I I remain firm in my belief that we're not going to know anything at all ownership-wise until at least Grey Cup. So to even give this a, a second of thought, as far as I'm concerned, as a, as a fan, as a supporter of this team, it doesn't matter. It, it, it matters, but it doesn't matter at this point because it's all just speculation right now. And this this team, this league, operates under a cone of silence. They really do. They, they, they release just enough to get uh, the the beat writers and everybody else get their tongues wagging a little bit, uh, makes you know sells a few newspapers, what have you. But the grand scheme of things, this league isn't going to do anything. It isn't going to make any news, as far as I'm concerned, until at least Grey Cup. So until then, I still believe that they're vetting people, I, and that's a great thing. I, I definitely think the league is definitely doing its due diligence as far as weighing all the options. A uh, couple of where we're still hearing a lot of the same names that we were hearing earlier. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, nobody's in, nobody's out. Everybody is still in play, and that's great. I mean, that's that's the way you have to look at it. And 
but uh, as far as I'm concerned, until we have something more concrete, it's something that, like like I want I want to see an actual real press conference saying that yes, we have made our decision. This is the group that's going to be the owner of the Montreal Alouettes. Until we get to that point, I just can't be bothered to worry about it. I'm far more focused as to what's going on on the field as opposed to what's going on off the field. Because you sit and start paying attention to all the off-field stuff, your head's going to spin. And quite frankly, I, I just want to enjoy what we're seeing on the field. Yeah. To me, to me, that's what's that's what's been the best part of this season. Because we've we've sat, Tim, for years now with all kinds of shenanigans. There's no other way to describe it. It's been shenanigans. And we've had to sit there and eat a sandwich over and over again. Now our palate's been cleansed. Now we're getting to see some great football, despite all of that. And as far as I'm concerned, I, I just don't want to hear any more about potential ownership stuff, at least until we know we've got something concrete and serious. And I remain firm in my belief that we're not going to hear a damn thing about it until, at the very, very least, Grey Cup. And God help us if the Alouettes are involved in the Grey Cup and there's this, still that potential of ownership, like that, that announcement being made. Uh, man, if you thought the circus was coming, had already come and been through town, wait until that happens. Mm. Because uh, I, I think that's where, where things are really going to get cray-cray, as the kids say. So as far as I'm concerned, I really don't care at this point about any ownership news. I just want to enjoy this team for what it's giving us. Yeah. And... The chips are going to fall where they may, and I'm okay with that. I really am. I just want to see and enjoy this team on the field and the off-field stuff. That's what we have the winter for. That's what we'll worry about ownership stuff at that point, as far right. as I'm concerned. Right, right. Until then, everything's just speculation. It's all hearsay. I, I, I just can't even be bothered to think about it, to tell you the truth. Yeah. Um, we want to talk about it is a bye week, and we're going to – Cliff brought this up basically at the last moment, so <laughs> – because we, cause we had a guest originally scheduled, but uh, uh, it wasn't able to work out tonight at the very last moment. Um, but Cliff was thinking that since it was uh, midway of the Alouette season, uh, like the CFL does, we wanted, wanted to try to give out who we thought would be, who would be most deserving for the, I guess, for the major awards that are usually given out in the CFL. Uh, but we would do it via the Alouettes. So I will try this. I'm never good at this. I'm never good at this because, because. Uh, but we'll we'll see how it goes. So, uh, since Cliff, you brought up the idea, my friend, go ahead and uh, let's uh, uh, take take the floor. It's yours. All right. Well, uh, let's let's start right at the top. Most outstanding player. Who's your your vote for the Alouettes? The, at the, at this point, based on the nine the nine games that have been played so far. Who's your most outstanding player, or who would you who would you expect to see being nominated as there, most outstanding there player? There are a couple. There are a couple, and um, I would probably go one, two. I'd probably go if they were to nominate uh, that this for the Alouettes. I would probably go with. Um, I, I really think Vernon Vernon would get the nod on this one. I I really do. But I've been looking at the other you know, wide receivers too, and our defense too, but. Uh, Quan Bray easily could be up there. He could easily be up there for rookie, actually. Um, uh-huh. But um, I, I really, it, yeah, I, I'd probably go Vernon right now. Yeah, I'm, I'm in the same boat. I think he's he's proven beyond a shadow of a doubt. Uh, he is definitely the leader of this franchise. The, the Alouettes definitely will not be where they are right now, as far as I'm concerned, without Vernon's leadership, his playmaking ability, uh, everything he's done so far. It, it hasn't been perfect. He's had... You know, he hasn't had the best performances at times, but he's done everything that he, that's been asked of him by Kahari Jones, and he's done, as far as I'm concerned, an outstanding job. So, yeah, as I honestly think when it's all said and done, I definitely think Vernon Adams will be in the discussion for most outstanding player of the Canadian Football League. Yeah, yeah. What's all next? right. Uh, most outstanding defensive player. So many people on this team. <laughs> Right, <laughs> but you can I, only pick one. I mean, uh, to be fair, uh, and we're not fan fan. Was it fanboying? What is it? What's, what's the term? I guess you could say fanboying. We're not. That's not the term, though. People are laughing. Well, fangirling. But oh I mean, yeah, like, yeah, that's true. Okay, but it's. I mean, we. Could, I could say Greg Reed. I could say Hinek Mwamba. I could say. Wow. Um, I'm trying to look at. I'm trying to look at the stats, and I know. I I understand. It's not. And and, and I've done. 
I've done year-end awards in the Arena League for years, and I, even I know it's not always about stats. I know that. I know it's not always about stats. But I'm, I'm just to let me just to here we go. I, I have to at least reference some. That, that's one thing I have to do. Let me go to the defensive stats here. I ha- I have to. I mean, God, even Patrick Levels too. Total ta- fifty-seven total tackles by this dude. Great pickup. I mean, obviously. Um, Tommy Campbell too. Oh wow, this is tough, man. This is tough. Let me let me double take that. Obviously, there are some variables here too. Uh, Tommy has two. See, Greg Greg puts himself because it was this, with his three picks. Um, dude, you know what? Uh, who who? Let, I'm gonna I'm gonna give it. To, I'm gonna pass it to you. I want to see what your thoughts are because I am actually pretty stumped. At the, mm-hmm. I, I have an idea, but I'm just, I am just really stumped. What, what who would you choose if you were to nominate the Alouettes player uh, defensive player of the year? See, I would. I'm a little stumped as well, but it, for me, it comes down to two guys: mm-hmm. Tommy Campbell and Greg Reed. Both of these guys, for different reasons, have been absolutely outstanding in in, in this Alouettes defense. I mean, there's been a lot of stars in the defense. There's absolutely no question about that, but. Especially too, with when you look at all five of Montreal wins, these two names are the ones when you see defensively that really stand out. Those are the ones that are making some sort of outstanding play, whether it's forcing fumbles, uh, interceptions, quarterback sacks, uh, you name it. They, these guys are all over the field, and they're one of the reasons why this Alouette's defense is is definitely not to be is to be taken seriously. Yeah, I, I mean, like this, the, the, these two guys I mean, have just been. So absolutely outstanding. So is it fair to say? I guess could uh, would you be ha- would you be okay with if we had a one and a one a? <laughs> well, they don't do that in the actual. No, award, I know so. that, but I mean, yeah, we don't know how they break ties. Well, that's why that's why they only have that's why I have multiple people voting for this. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, like I think uh, it, it's. I it's mean, Patrick tough, Levels. I, Patrick Levels. He. I mean, he, to me, he has twenty more tackles. 20 more tackles than Tommy Campbell and 24 more tackles than Greg Reed. And I understand Greg and Tommy are in there because of what they've done for their interception. That I completely get. And obviously, with you know, you can't discount, obviously, what Greg has done on uh, on punt returns, too. But then again, that, that's, not, that's a special teams category. Right. So, it, it's, it, it, God, it's tough. And you can't, you can't put it by me. Enoch has 42 tackles, too, man. Oh, crap. Um... All right, I'm going to make a call right now. Okay. Greg Reed, by the slimmest of margins. But, again, would not be upset to see Tommy Campbell win this as well. Both, as, like you said, if you, if you could do a 1 and 1A, one or 1A, one 1B, one obviously those yeah, two, but yeah. and, and, I, I think if you if you I, had to hammer down sorry. one one you player. I like it, but I'm, that's what I'm going to do. <laughs> Great. No, that's fine. That's, Campbell, yeah, Campbell and Greg, 1A uh, and 1B. I'm Yeah. Yeah, Tommy Campbell, Greg Reed. Yeah, Not, nothing okay. against Patrick Levels. At Levels, I mean, if, if for all we know, he'll go off and he'll get some picks. If he gets a pick or two, I think he, he could probably cement himself and leapfrog Campbell and and Reed. Same thing with mm-hmm. Enoch. You, you can't put it against them. You cannot hold it against them. It's, it's only half halfway through. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. Well, oh, you know what? Here, here's another thing: two forced fumbles by Campbell, mm-hmm. one by Greg Reed. Like I said, you cannot go wrong as far as I'm concerned with either Campbell or Reed. And yeah, you throw Patrick Levels into the mix as well. Like he's definitely been outstanding and same by that same definition as to what's become most outstanding for this defense. Patrick Levels has done all of that and more. He he's been all over the field making plays happen as well. So, I mean, it's definitely a tough category. It's it's not one you you, you can just say one one particular player and say that yeah, this is the guy. Like this, that, that, and that's amazing. That's what's been so incredible about this Alouette's defense in 2019 is that you have this sort of Sophie's choice to make. It, it's incredible. What's the next? All right, uh, most outstanding offensive lineman. God, you would ask me that. I'm so bad at this. <laughs> I so Cliff, who would be your offensive lineman? <laughs> you may not be getting well, an answer for me on this one, so. Well, and this one, too, uh, it's kind of a, a tough one, but not for the reasons you think, because by and large, this offensive line has improved greatly. Considering how poor it's been the past couple of years, yeah. this offensive and, line, and I think it's... And they were underrated, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, to pick out one player in particular, I think uh, 
honestly, and I'm a little surprised at me for, for having to pick this, has been uh, Christian Matt. Uh, he's been he's played extremely well at center uh, now with the retirement of uh, Luc Berger Jardin. Yeah, uh, the job is 100% his. I I'll be honest. I didn't think, based on the past couple of years, that he was up to the task of of being the center. Because let's not forget, center for the offensive line is essentially the quarterback of the offensive line. Yeah, and I just like he's been okay in stretches in relief of uh, LBJ when he was injured. But since he'd been taken over full time, like over the past couple of years, I, I just haven't felt 100% confident in his abilities. But this year, he has proven to be extremely good. And he's just, he's been a, a calming presence for the rest of the line. Uh, yeah, they make mistakes still. There's still the blind side that gets uh, uh, attacked once in a while. It's by, by no means perfect. But I think considering where they've been be- over the past couple of years, this offensive line has approved considerably. And I think a lot of that has to go to Christian Matt as far as his ability to, as I said, quarterback this offensive line. So as far as I'm concerned, uh, you can also make a, a case for Tony Washington. Like he plays that position, the left tackle position, outstanding. Like he does a yeah, great I, I, job. I was thinking Washington too, actually. <laughs> like you could, you can make a case for him as well. But I think when you talk about the overall body of work, I, I personally, if I had the vote, I would, Definitely give it to Christian Matt. Okay. I'll give it to Washington. I said I'm very bad when it comes to picking linemen. I'm so bad at it. So <laughs> bad at it. And it doesn't matter what sport it is. It's not something I, I – I know you're supposed to pay attention to the entire game, but that's uh, – to the entire team, but uh, I just had I, – I just – yeah. I, I Yeah, no. Uh, next. All right. Uh, most outstanding rookie. Uh, I'll, I think I'll go Quambray on this one. Yeah. He stepped up when he needed to. We, you know, we were like, oh, man, you know, BJ's down or – or it was DeVore, you know, Posey went down, and he stepped up. And, mm-hmm. yeah, right now I would, I would, I would go with Quan Bray. Because, obviously, I think we said that uh, Greg Reed is not considered a rookie, so. Um, no. So, I, yeah, it would, but still, I would, I would give it to Quan Bray either way. Yeah, and, I, again, I remember back in training camp, Vernon Adams at one point was actually fourth on the QB death chart. So he's not going to be getting all the reps. Or he's not getting the reps with the starters, I should say. One of the guys that he was getting a lot of reps with, Quan Bray. Yeah. And when you think back to when training camp started, Ernest Jackson was released the first day of camp. Uh, as you said, B.J. Cunningham, unfortunately, went down to injury. Uh, Devere Posey spent some time on the six-game injured list as well. So this created a lot of opportunities for guys like Jake Winecki and Quan Bray. Mm-hmm. And... I think Vernon Adams, once he became starting quarterback, he remembered the connection that he had with Quan Bray in training camp, and that's why he focused a lot of the attention on this youngster. And he's answered the call time and time again. Uh, he's had an outstanding uh, career so far with the Alouettes. Uh, he's been a pleasant surprise. Uh, I, I, I know it's easy to focus on guys like Posey and Eugene Lewis as far as uh, wide receivers on this team, but Quan Bray has quietly carved himself out a pretty solid first campaign in the Canadian Football League. Yeah, I, I think, uh, yeah, as far as uh, outstanding rookie goes, uh, he would definitely be my choice as uh, as most outstanding rookie. Perfect. Next. Uh, most outstanding special teams player? Uh, just based on what we've seen so far this year, I, 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 it, it's still a it's still a thing in pro in progress. But I was I would early I would go to Shakira Ryan. Well, it's usually where when it comes to the Alouettes, when it comes to uh, special teams goes, uh, the kick returner is always the one that gets consideration. For years, it was Stefan Logan. Uh, Stefan's no longer with the team. Uh, well, it's usually the ki- it's usually the kicker too. But uh, you know, un- unfortunately, I I don't feel right giving it to Betty. I'm sorry. No, he's been unfortunately uh, very hot and cold at times. Like, and I found like, by and large, oh, hot and cold like Katy Perry. Yeah, just a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, my first thought would be to go to Shakir Ryan as well, but I mean, he hasn't really spent the his whole time with the team. I mean, he's had one out, he's had a couple of outstanding plays, but uh, to me, it's a little too soon for that. Uh, this is the one that I would struggle with as far as special teams goes. Uh, one name that I th- don't think gets a lot of credit, though, has been uh, Jean Samuel Blanc. He's uh, he's done an outstanding job as far as uh, uh, special teams tackles goes. Uh, is a physical presence uh, for sure. Uh, just one of those unsung heroes. Like you don't hear a whole lot of him, right. but when he makes noise, you you definitely know it. And 
that, at this point, I think uh, I'd feel pretty – like Shakir Ryan, I understand why a lot of people would probably gravitate towards that, especially after that incredible touchdown he scored against Saskatchewan a couple weeks ago. But uh, by and large, I think uh, I, I would go with one of the unsung heroes. And I think in this case, uh, Jean-Samuel Blanc would definitely get uh, my consideration, okay. at this, at least for the first nine games right, of the season. Right, exactly, exactly. Okay, next. Uh, well, last but certainly not least, uh, most outstanding Canadian. Bow. Um, I close my roster. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want me to name mine? And you'll go, probably yeah, go. Go. I, I have, as far as I'm concerned, it's an overwhelming favorite. Uh, this guy has just been absolutely outstanding. I have. By the way, for, by the way, we've been talking. I have one in my head, but continue. All right. As I said, he's been absolutely outstanding, pretty much from the moment he put on an Alouette's jersey, and. Uh, a lot of people, I think, and I'm sure you you especially may have forgotten that he is definitely Canadian. Mm-hmm. None other than Hinock Mwamba. I was just about to say, that's, that's who, came to my, who came to mind almost immediately as soon as we started talking about it. Yeah. I, you talk about what he's done defensively for the Alouettes, and yeah, like you can even put him in the, that category for the most outstanding defensive player. Like for Some of his play, the plays that he's made this year have definitely qualified him for that, to be in that discussion as well. But when you talk about outstanding Canadian... Yes, folks, Hinak Mwamba is 100% Canadian yeah. and definitely deserves consideration. I mean, you see, how excited he must have he had been to play in Moncton? Like, after playing it for St. FX uh, in, uh, in Nova Scotia for his uh, college career. Yeah, yeah. For him, for him to be able to come back to the Maritimes and play football again, I'm sure that had been a real trip for him. And they had, they had that also that quick story about the, uh, the X-Ring also. This is true. This is true. So. Oh. But uh, yeah, I, I think. Uh, yeah, I'll go with you. I agree. Yeah, I I remember the few that are are well known and been playing very well. And yeah, I'll, I'll go Hinaka also. Yeah, I mean, there's listen, there's been a lot of people, that, a lot of players that have stepped up this year for the Alouettes. But uh, I mean, Hinaka Mwamba leads by example every single time. And one of the reasons why, one uh, is, is the minute he steps on the field. You've got confidence. You you've got that bit of swagger, and he carries himself like a true professional. Yeah, I, I love watching him play. I love the way he just gets out there and he just he does his job and he does it so well. And that's it, it's so fun to watch this guy play. And the energy he has is second to none. Uh, yeah, as far as I'm concerned, it's almost unanimous. As far as I'm concerned, is it's got to be Hinak Mwamba for most outstanding Canadian. Okay, perfect. And and the name too that I think once the season is done, uh, I. It feels like the past couple of years, the Alouettes, they submit their nominees. And, yeah, there's a little bit of consideration for some of the Alouettes, uh, but not really. Like A lot of it is just like a token vote. But I think this year, when it's all said and done, I think I honestly think that Hinock is going to be very much in consideration for that award for the Eastern Division. Okay. Oh, I, again, I agree. So I'll, I'll – uh, or no, are we wrong? Owls fans, are we wrong? CFL fans, are we wrong? Let us know. Uh, yeah, definitely hit us up on, on, on the Twitter machine. Yep. Uh, let us know what you think. Uh, I mean, again, bear in mind, these, this is not who we think is going to be necessarily at the end of the year, but I'm talking about like, the first nine Alouettes games this season. The players that we've nominated, the, those are the ones that we feel have definitely would definitely be in consideration, provided everything stays the way it has been for the, the next nine games. I wouldn't be surprised to see these guys be nominated for those awards. That's pretty much the idea here. Yeah, let us know. Um, uh, and of course, uh, of course, I forgot to mention there is also Coach of the Year. How do you not go with Kahari Jones? No matter what, Kahari will be in the mix for sure. But as we have seen, it, it, even in other leagues too, though the, the you know, sure, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's the coach who has the best record will get it. Uh, but Kahari, I think, should be in the mix. Oh, for the work he's done this yeah. year, yeah, and considering I- the situation and the circumstances, yes. Absolutely, and that, that's no disrespect to like Orlando Steinhauer and Hamilton. I mean, like eight and two is very, very impressive. Uh, again, like you, you, you can't you can't take away what he's done there, but to take a look at what Kahari has done, considering again, everybody expected the Alouettes to be garbage this year, and look what Kahari, especially too, considering he was named head coach six days before the first regular season game, right before the cuts. Yeah, like nobody expected this. Nobody expected this. Maybe Kahari expected it, but I don't think anyone who watches the CFL was expecting Kahari Jones to just be that leader, be that calming presence that this team needed. And my God, one of the things I've become to love every after every game is listening to his post-game speech. My God, like 
Mm-hmm. How do you not want to run through a brick wall for this guy? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like he he is passionate. He is dedicated. He he believes in this team, and he he's flat out says it. Like he knows that this team can be something special. Yeah, and he believes him every single time, and it's it's amazing. It's just listening to him, like you can't help but get fired up for this guy. And I, I, I tell you what, I'd be floored, quite frankly. Like re- records aside for what's going on out west, and for what Hamilton's doing in the east. Again, I'm I'm not taking anything away from that, but I I, I really truly would be floored to not see Kahari Jones be nominated and win Coach of the Year this year for the in the Canadian football league. It's just to me, what he's done with this Alouettes team has been nothing short of spectacular. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. Okay. A couple of things before we finish up. Uh, one of them is that uh, the Alouettes re-signed uh, Matt Schiltz to another one year contract. Um, another friend of the show. Yep. Yep. No, thank you very much. Uh, I, I, good. It's a good signing. Good signing. Very, 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 very good signing. So it's in my opinion. So, um, yeah, what was we're, it? We're, we're extremely happy for Matt. Uh, like I said, he's just—he's been one of those guys too. He comes in, great attitude. He comes in as a hard worker. Uh, we only got to see a little bit of him in action this season so far, but uh, I, I think just when it comes to laying down the groundwork for the future of this franchise, I mean, this is definitely Vernon Adams' team. There's no question about that. I think that's been proven time and time again this season that this is 100% Vernon Adams' team. But when you talk about the future, you talk like a couple years down the road. To have that that ace in the hole, and that's what Matt Schiltz is, is an ace in the hole. Like, watching him play, like, he comes just as prepared as Vernon Adams. And when his number is called, he's ready to go. And that's what you need when it comes to a starting quarterback. Yeah. And Matt Schiltz has that. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm excited as hell to know that he's still going to be a part of this team. And I think he knows, too, that this is something special here in Montreal. And he wants to be a part of this. And quite frankly, I'm I'm glad he's sticking around. And second of all is that the CFL surprise this. I, I, we'd seen a little bit of this because you and I caught, caught a little bit of this. But the CFL is starting up their turf traditions again. And this, this has been an eon since this thing was brought back. I think turf traditions was done back for uh, – what, what was the company that used to do the shirts back then? Um, oh, I could see the name of the shirt now, the name of the company that used to do them. But it was under the same monk here too, uh, branding of turf traditions. But um, – the Alouettes uh, really well. The, first, what the league is going to be doing is that the every team is going to be wearing uh, the shirt and the cap on the sidelines for not only for uh, for the upcoming Labor Day games this this weekend, but also for the following weekend for the teams that haven't you know that haven't done it yet, which will be the Alouettes will be wearing this stuff on the sidelines and will be available. It's currently available actually on the Alouettes boutique. Um, one of the ones that isn't showing up currently is the, is a pretty sweet old school cfl uh cfl logo cap uh but one thing i just don't understand and I, I, if i can get a, a any word about why it was done this way is that the alouettes released theirs and they're using the french hornbird cliff and for some reason they're using a logo that is green and yellow excuse me green and <laughs> green and red but yet the cap is blue and red mm-hmm. that i don't understand um Every other team got it right, except for the weird coloring that they're doing in Saskatchewan. <laughs> but I'm, I'm, the, the shirts are gorgeous. I, I love the shirts, uh, the snapback caps uh, for the for, for the uh, uh, for the logo itself. But I'm, I, that's really my thing. I mean, that's my only pet peeve on them. Is it? I don't think it'll look fine at, at green at, with a green, uh, a red bill and a and a, a green top. I would have been fine with that. But you know, whatever. <laughs> well, I think it would have been a little too jarring, I think, for your average CFL fan to see the Alouettes logo or Alouettes gear, so to speak, in red and green. Uh, but again, that you but can't deny that. that was... But they're going, they're, they're they're going back. That's to me. That's that was you know that was that was the Alouettes logo back then. You're not wrong. I mean, there was green in the logo, so I mean, and it's we wore it... green jerseys. Yep. Hell, uh, do surpri- surprise us and go back and have. At the time they had the wings, go back and do a gray and red cap, <laughs> like we mentioned, like we were talking about two two weeks ago. That's true. During the watch party. So, yeah. But anyways, I mean, it is what it, I still I I'm I'm looking forward to it. Um, they will be available uh, again. They're online now. 
Uh, but I'm curious to know when they're going to release those sweet old school CFO uh, logo caps. Uh, uh, that that's a that's a that's on my list for sure. So yeah, the credit card jumps out of your wallet and just starts ordering it for you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I think it already. That's, has. How, that's how nice it is. <laughs> just just got to find out where where it's currently located. So um, by week this week, we're going to try to have something next week for you guys. Um, even though the Owls will not be playing, oh, wow, this is the first time that the Owls, when is the last time the Owls did not play? I know they don't have a, technically a Labor Day opponent. Rivalry? Yeah. Whether it be, it could be Ottawa. It could be Ottawa. Well, and they were trying to do that for the past couple of years, so I'm, I'm a little baffled, too, as to why they didn't do it this year, but... Well, I guess this ha- so happens this when our third bye week happened to pop into the schedule, so... Yeah, so, but it is what it is, I guess, uh, as far as rivalry weekend goes, the Labor Day weekend, uh, I, I think a lot of more fans tend to focus more on the the Labor Day classics, both in Ontario and in, uh, like, I guess, Saskatchewan. Yeah, which and are sold the, out, by the way. Yes, they are. Which so that's are sold out. They're SRO. Again, those are... Uh, those are always exciting games to watch. I, I know I'm personally looking forward to watching them on TV. Uh, Battle of Alberta is always exciting too. So, uh, yeah, I mean, we've got three great football games coming That's up right. for Labor Day weekend. That's it's right. just oh, look, Monday games. Hmm, who would have thought Monday games? Hmm. <laughs> hmm. Is there a Thanksgiving Monday game this year, Cliff? Oh, there should be. There, there really should, should be. There should be. It should be brought back. Note again to the to the Owls and to the CFL. Tra- yeah, you, you talk about tra- you know you're talking about all this thing with turf traditions. That's an that's an Alouette's turf tradition for the past yeah, I, thirteen years, you know, less this year. It's it's that's been our tradition. So, but anyways, I yeah 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 we're we're again we can sit we can harp on this exactly till the cows come home. And yes. it's unfortunate. I just again we we talked about this earlier this year and really truly we just hope this is just a blip on the radar. This is a one time thing, and I think I think now both the league and the team has finally realized they've heard from the fans numerous times about how important the Thanksgiving day game is for us. And I got a feeling when the schedule comes out in late December, I wouldn't be surprised to see the Alouettes back hosting the game and all being right with the world again. Yeah, exactly. So Cliff, have a very good weekend, sir. I know we are, I, I, we may be doing something where we, we don't know if it's going to come to fruition or not, but it depends on our schedules and stuff like that. But uh, enjoy the games. Enjoy your long weekend. Uh, and be safe, but I'm sure I will talk to you soon. And then, you fans, there may not be any owls this week. That's okay. We'll be back next Friday, though. Another home game versus the BC Lions. But uh, enjoy any of the games that you happen to watch this week, and we hope to see and hear from you, and hopefully you'll be back with us next week also. So for everybody here at the Alouette's Flight Deck for Cliffy D, I'm Tim Capper. Run final approach. Thanks for listening. Find more great shows like this at CF Pod Network on Twitter.